Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to do lesson number 27 in our Bible 101 series. And the last lesson we talked about the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, we mostly focused on uh, the Magi and we focused on the shepherds. And we focused on uh, the fact that Joseph was dealt, uh, God dealt with him through dreams and so uh, we're going to this week focus on the early life of Jesus. But before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we ask you today to speak to us. God, I need your help. I need your grace. Touch every hearer, Lord, and help them to understand the word of God. Guide us to that portion of the word that would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and pick up in the book of Luke where we left off. Let's go to the book of Luke. And we're going to uh, begin reading in verse number uh, uh, 40 of Luke chapter number 2. And this is what it says. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So once again we see that his parents are very obedient to God. I mentioned in the last lesson that they did everything according to the law. I mean, every letter, they obeyed it completely, as was written in the law, as was written in the law. Well, here again, we see them going up every year at the Feast of the Passover, just like they're supposed to. In verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. There it is again. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all they uh, that heard it were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now this scripture destroys the idea that Jesus didn't know who he was until his baptism. Uh, that's false doctrine because it says very clearly here in the Bible that at the age of 12, he knew who his father was. And he said, I must be about my father's business. Obviously not speaking about Joseph. If he was speaking about Joseph, he would have stayed with his parents. But he's saying, I must be about my father's business, talking about, obviously, the father. And then he says this, And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now let's stop here and talk about this just for a minute. Because uh, remember, Jesus is God in flesh. He's God in flesh. And yet, even he submitted to his earthly parents. Uh, and so this ought to tell us something. Because even Jesus in the flesh was subject to uh, his earthly rulers to obviously Mary and Joseph. And so that gives us an example. Remember, Jesus is our sublime example. 
and uh, Jesus prayed as our example. Jesus was baptized for our example. Jesus lived a life without sin for our example. Jesus overcame temptation for our example. Uh, Jesus went to the synagogue, read the scriptures, studied for our example. And so uh, we need to understand that if Jesus was subject to his parents, we ought to also be subject to our parents and to our rulers, to the men of God over us, to, uh, to our earthly rulers as well. And so then it says this in chapter 3 and verse number 1, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Aturia, and the region of Trachonitis, and Licinius the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now let's stop and talk about that. Notice that Luke is a historian. Now, he is a physician, but he's also a historian. Notice his attention to details here. This is not just a story, because a lot of people out there will say, you know, skeptics, they'll say that the Gospels are nothing more than just fictitious stories. If that's the case, why did they give so many specific details? Luke knew that people would be able to come along afterwards, and, and if he was wrong in his details, they'd be able to easily prove him wrong. But notice what he says here, in the 15th year, so he gives us the, the year, and then he says, in the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of, of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Trachonitis, and Licinius the tetrarch of Abilene. By the way, all of this is backed up. Uh, it's easily proven. And then it says Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. Once again, he gives us so many details. He tells us uh, who was uh, tetrarch of this area, this region. And then he says uh, these were the high priests, and this was the year that it happened. And uh, All of these things can be backed up and proven. So uh, once again, we see that Luke is going to give very careful details. And Luke, as a historian, is going to continually give us details. So his is uh, the most verifiable of all of the accounts and can be backed up with historical documents. And then it says this, um, And he came unto all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Talking about John, obviously. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now let's flip back to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3 and read uh, the initial scripture he just quoted from. Isaiah 40 and verse number 3. Now this is very, very important to go back and read it. When you see a quotation in the New Testament... Uh, if you have a study Bible that tells you where that quotation came from, back up and read it for yourself uh, because it's very, very important. You'll, you'll get some beautiful revelation out of that. Watch this. Isaiah 40 and verse number 3. The voice of him crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make uh, straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let's read that again. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, who's he preparing the way for? Jesus. Who is Jesus? Notice what it says. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was not just a man. He was God manifest in the flesh. Then the next verse says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and rough places plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now let's stop and talk about that verse. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Who is Jesus? God manifest in flesh. And then it says this, and all flesh shall see it together. Now remember, when Moses had asked, Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, you cannot see me and live. He said, but when I pass by, I'll put my hand over you. You'll see my hinder parts, but my face you cannot see, for no man can see it and live. However, here in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3, uh, excuse me, verse number 5, it says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. You can only see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it says here, very plainly, the glory of the Lord will be seen, and all flesh will see the glory of the Lord. How? In Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? So, that's why it's so important that when it gives a quotation in the New Testament, back up and read it in the Old Testament and find out the context of it. It's, it's, you'll get some beautiful revelation out of that. Okay, so let's go back to Luke chapter number 3 and uh, verse number 5. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now remember in the Old Testament it said the glory of God. Here it says the salvation of God. Alright. Then uh, said um, to then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Okay, now notice something he says here. There's several things I want to point out, and then we're going to read Matthew's account of this, and then we're going to go over and read Mark's account of this. Watch what he says here. Bring forth, therefore, this is verse 8 of Luke chapter 3, fruits worthy of repentance. Bring forth fruits that proves your repentance, in other words. And it says, And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For a long time the Jews have depended upon uh, upon their uh, their lineage uh, for salvation. They think that just because they're Jews that they're going to be saved. Uh, and we're going to see this mentality over and over and over again when uh, John the Baptist calls them to repentance, when Jesus calls them to repentance. It's almost as if they take a step back and say, Who are you to speak to us about repentance? We're the children of Abraham. But what John is telling them, don't lean on your lineage. Don't lean on, on the fact that you're a child of, of, uh, of somebody that's righteous. Just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean anything. God can out of these stones raise up children unto Abraham. And many believe this is a reference uh, talking about the Gentiles because anybody that receives the Holy Ghost is baptized in Jesus' name, uh, obviously first truly repenting of their sins, uh, is a child of Abraham. You can read that uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, I believe it is. So uh, what we need to understand is that you can't lean on your lineage. I don't care if you're 100% Jew here today listening to this podcast. You can't lean upon your lineage. And so that's what John is telling them. You can't lean upon the fact that you're a Jew and the fact that you're a child of Abraham. God, if he wants to, can raise up children from Abraham from these stones. 
And God would do that. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if these cry not out, he said, the rocks will cry out in praise. And so, can I tell you that if, if God really wants to, he can raise up children for him from anything. But he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 4, or 3, I'm sorry. Uh, Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, uh, you're not going to be judged just off the fact that you're a Jew. Uh, and, and it never was that case. You're, ne- you're never saved just because you're a Jew. Uh, they still had to obey the law. And now he's saying you're going to be judged based off of your works. It's not going to have anything to do with who you're a child of. You're going to be judged based off of your works. And he says, Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. What is he talking about with the fire? The fire of judgment. Hell fire, in other words. Hell fire. Cast into the fire. All right. Now, uh, before we get into the rest of Luke here, let's back up and read another man's account of this. Let's go over to the book of Matthew. So go over to the book of Matthew, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter number 3. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 3. Please follow along with me in your Bible. Matthew chapter number 3 and verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You think repentance is important? Yes, it is. It's the first words out of the mouth of John the Baptist, according to Matthew here. And it says this, For this is that, uh, uh, excuse me, for this is he that was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Okay, I, I want to focus on something here. Let's go back to the book of uh, Malachi, the last book of your Old Testament, the book of Malachi. So just one book back from Matthew. And let's go to Mal- Malachi chapter number 4. Uh, and let's go to verse number 5. Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5. Remember, this is the last Old Testament prophet prophesying uh, about several things. He's, he's prophesied in there about John the Baptist. We'll read that in just a minute. But let's go to Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Okay, so... Uh, notice what it says here. It says, um, For this is that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern uh, girdle about his loins, uh, and his meat was locusts, and wild honey. Several things. He dwelt in the wilderness. Uh, he had a raiment of camel's hair. He had a, a leathern girdle about his loins. So there's several things to notice here. Now, I'm not going to take time to go into the passage specifically, but if you back up and you read, I believe it's in the book of uh, 1 Kings or 2 Kings. I can't remember which. I believe it's 1 Kings, where uh, when Elijah comes and he gives a message to be given to the king, and when the servants of the king come back, he said, how was he dressed? And one of the ways he described him was he was a wild man, and he said that uh, he had a leather girdle about his waist. So he was dressed in a similar manner of Elijah the prophet. Also, 
It says here that he dwelt in the wilderness, just like Elijah the prophet. Remember, Elijah the prophet also dwelt in the wilderness. And so it says uh, he depended upon the meat of the wilderness. So here is, now I understand some people would say, well, before, you know, the day of, uh, of, of the coming of the Lord, the second time, or however they believe, if they believe in pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, they'll believe that Elijah and Moses will come back and they'll be the two great witnesses. I'm not going to get into all that. But what I am going to say here, remember, there can be multiple fulfillments to the same prophecy. I talked about the abomination that make it desolate uh, at least three times. You can you can point to it. You could say it happened in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth between the Old and New Testament. It happened in the days of Titus, uh, the Roman general, when he came in and destroyed Jerusalem and killed over a million Jews and and desecrated the temple by walking into it and and not one stone was left upon another. And then Paul spoke about a day where uh, the Antichrist is going to come up and, and set himself up is God and the temple of God. Uh, so you could say there's multiple fulfillments of the same prophecy. Well, can I say this? Jesus himself uh, referred to this prophecy and called uh, uh, John the Baptist uh, Elijah, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And there are several things to be said about there. that, but what happens is uh, when Jesus goes up upon the Mount of Transfiguration is when he tells the disciples about this. And uh, one of the things he says, as they were coming down from the mountain, they asked him, why did the scribes say that Elias must first come? And uh, let's let's skip. Let's go ahead and read this here. Um, I'm trying to find the exact passage here. Let's go over to the book of Matthew, and let's go to chapter number. Uh, let's go to chapter uh, number 17 and verse number 11. So the disciples once again to set the scenario. They're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Actually, let's back up to verse number 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall, future tense, first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. That's what I remember. The same prophecy can have multiple fulfillments to it. He said, Is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. There you go, plain and black and white. The prophecy that Malachi said about Elias' first coming was fulfilled, at least partially, in the coming of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, that's why he dressed like John. The, uh, he dressed like uh, Elijah. Um, he did not perform miracles like Elijah, uh, but he did dress like Elijah. And uh, his he 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 lived in the wilderness just like Elijah, and he called the people to repentance just like Elijah. All right. And so let's go back to Matthew chapter number 3 and verse number 6. And it says, uh, excuse me, verse 5, Then went out to him uh, to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Let me, let me read that again. Confessing their sins. We're going to find out in the book of Acts, chapter number 19. Let's flip over there. The book of Acts, chapter number 19. I realize I'm all over the scripture, uh, but let's go to Acts, chapter number 19. We're going to find out what uh, John's baptism was for. 
All right, let's go to uh, John chapter, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 19, verse number 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So John the Baptist baptized for the purpose of repentance. The baptism of repentance is what it was called. All right, so uh, here we have his baptism is a type of repentance. That's why they came unto him, and when they were baptized, they had to confess their sins. All right, let's see this confession in action. Let's go back over to the book of Luke. Let's go back to the book of Luke. And I believe it is chapter number 3. Yes, it is. Luke chapter 3. And let's go to verse number uh, uh, 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Now remember, in context, he's already told them, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And then they said, What shall we do then? Verse 11, He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Stop being selfish, in other words. Then came also publicans to be baptized. Publicans were tax collectors. And said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Uh, the publicans were notorious for taking more than what belonged to them. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. All three things that the Roman soldiers were notorious for. And it says, And as the people were in expectation, all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here we are again, another reference to hell. Unquenchable, eternal fire. It cannot be quenched. It cannot be put out, in other words. It's eternal fire. We're going to see this reference over and over and over again. Why do I keep bringing your attention back to this? Because some people say that hell is just a place uh, where you're extinguished and that's it, and that's all there is to it. No, it's eternal fire. It's eternal fire. It's over and over and over again. You're going to read about weeping, uh, weeping. In other words, in linear tense, continual weeping, gnashing, continual gnashing of teeth. So it's not just a one-time event. It's not just something you get thrown in the fire, you get extinguished, and that's all there is to it. That may sound comforting to a lot of people, uh, but we don't need to comfort people about the idea of going to hell. Uh, trust me, brothers and sisters, and, and people out there that are listening, perhaps you don't know the Lord yet, you don't want to go to hell. It's it's unquenchable fire. But I want to back up. Notice when uh, they came to him, he's telling them, if you're going to be baptized, you need to change your lifestyle. So can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that there's too many churches today that will baptize somebody just because they want to be baptized. However, if you're going to be baptized, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. But you also, it's a baptism that you've got to first repent of your sins. You've got to make things right with God. I'm not saying that you that means you have to have every, all your ducks in a row and everything in order before you're baptized, but what I am saying is there needs to be a change in your life. You need to make some promises to God. Tell God, God, I'm not just doing this as an act of, of, you know, of uh, a public profession of my faith, like some denominations say, but I'm doing this because I recognize the fact that when I'm baptized, my sins are washed away. And so so even John, with his baptism, would not baptize them unless they first made a change in their life. And he gave us the example of repentance. Uh, you know, don't take more than what belongs to you. Stop stealing, in other words, he told the publicans. To the Roman soldiers, stop doing violence to men. Stop hurting.
hurting your bro- uh, stop hurting people. Uh, and then he says, uh, don't accuse any falsely. Stop your lying and your false accusations, and be content with your wages. Stop coveting. So notice here, he's he's telling them if you're going to be baptized, you're going to have to make some changes. All right. Now, remember, he's preparing the way for the Lord. That's the purpose and mission of him. And he says, the one that's coming after me is mightier than I. He says, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unlatch his sandals. And he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And he said, his fan is in his hand. What is he talking about? He's talking about the winnowing fan. And he will thoroughly purge his floor. Talking about the same process there. And will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, there's certain ways that they could do this winnowing fork. Basically, they would take uh, the wheat and, and the chaff together. They would toss it into the air. When the wind would blow, uh, it would blow away the chaff, but the wheat would be uh, to f- would fall back down to the ground, and that's how they could determine the difference between wheat and chaff. And so, can I just tell you this here? Um, uh, take confidence, because there, there may be a lot of fakes in the church. There may be a lot of people that profess Christianity. There may be a lot of hypocrites in the church. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. Don't worry about the hypocrites because uh, the Bible told us there must needs be heresies that they which are approved among them may be uh, revealed. And so can I tell you the Spirit of God is what's going to make the difference between uh, the chaff and the wheat. The chaff and the wheat, uh, in fact, in one parable Jesus said, let both grow together until the harvest. And when harvest time comes, when he comes, in other words the second coming of Jesus, it's going to be determined which ones were chaff and which ones were weak. But you let the Spirit of God blow, and you let the Spirit of God discern who's chaff and who's wheat. You just keep your hands off of it, because so many times uh, the Bible does tell us not to judge lest we be judged. Keep your hands off of the judging. Uh, you as a saint of God, stop trying to determine what's chaff and what's wheat. You leave that in the hands of God, because there's going to come a day where God's going to expose every hypocrite to be what they really are. Okay, and then, uh, so, but John the Baptist is preaching, and he's telling them, you you better repent because I'm telling you he's coming right after me now think about this just for a minute think about how many prophets had risen up and saying the Messiah is coming the Messiah is coming the Messiah is coming thousands of years had passed hundreds of years had passed since these prophets died and left the scene and they're probably some of them thinking that day oh we've heard this message before we've heard this message before but what they didn't realize is that Jesus was just a few feet away and about to walk on the scene and can I tell you that maybe you become frustrated waiting for the promises of God but you never know that that promise may Maybe just around the bend. All right, so uh, I want to go back, though, to the book of Malachi. I told you we'd go back here. Let's go back to the book of Malachi and read another prophecy about John the Baptist. Again, Malachi is the last Old Testament book. We're almost done with this lesson here today. But let's go back to the book of Malachi, chapter number 3. Back to the book of Malachi, chapter number 3 and verse number 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly, shall suddenly, shall suddenly come to his temple. Uh, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now there's a lot of people in those days that were looking forward to the coming of the Lord, but he tells them this, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire. Seems like I just read something about him baptizing with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, so many times we talk about the Holy Ghost and fire, but fire, talking about the Holy Ghost and fire, yes, Holy Ghost can be a type of fire, but also fire is a type of judgment. 
and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Okay, so notice he says uh, he's going to purify. He's like a refiner's fire. He's like fuller's soap. Um, and there's so many things I could say about this, but he says who's going to be able to stand when he appears? And so he comes like a refiner's fire. And so John the Baptist gets up and he preaches and he said, I'm telling you, you better repent. You better get your hearts right. Now, so many times we talk about Jesus and, and people paint him as kind of this lovey-dovey figure of history that never judged anybody and loved everybody. It's true that Jesus loves everybody. But don't forget uh, that Jesus is not just Lord. He's judge. He's not just our Savior. He's going to be our judge someday. All right. Uh, and we're going to be judged by his words. Remember, he said, uh, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon the rock. The rains came, the floods descended, beat upon that house, and it stood. But whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, I will liken him to a foolish man that built his house upon, uh, or, excuse me, the, 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 the foolish man built his house upon uh, the sand. And it says, The rains came, the floods descended, beat upon that house, and it did not stand. Great was the fall of it. He said, If you don't obey these sayings of mine, you're not going to be able to stand. Uh, the pressures of life is going to wash you away. But ultimately, at the judgment, you're not going to be able to stand if you haven't obeyed the words of Jesus. Alright, let's go over to the book of Mark, chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Now notice, Mark begins his gospel totally different than the others, and we're going to close with this. Uh, he starts with the ministry of John the Baptist. Rather than recording the birth of Jesus, Mark gets right to the point. And so this is what it says, Mark chapter 1 and verse number 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Alright, notice what that says, for the remission of sins. And they went out to him into all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost." Notice he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, I've already read in Acts chapter 19, disciples of John the Baptist that were baptized un under John, they had to be rebaptized in Jesus' name. There, can I tell you, there's more than just one baptism. Uh, read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 1. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not in laying again the foundation of repentance of, of good works, and of the doctrine of baptisms, plural. Baptisms, plural. There's more than one baptism. There's the baptism of water in Jesus' name, but there's also the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you read about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's what it's referring to here. It says, He, uh, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And that's where we're going to close. We're going to talk next time about the baptism of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for speaking to us today. God, let the ears of every hearer be blessed by what they've heard here today. God, I pray that if they have not yet repented of their sins, they would do that. If they have not yet been baptized in Jesus' name, that they would do that and confess their sins and, and live openly before you, Lord. God, that way we can come before you on the day of judgment and have nothing to hide. We love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. May God bless you.